So today I want to do a two-part series entitled Village People. Village People. Y'all know we had, uh, back in the 80s, a very unique group of guys <laughs> that did the song called YMCA. Now, the village people, <laughs> you either love them or hate them based on what they represented, but what they had was a, uh, they were unique in that their costumes were all different to represent different walks of life coming together unified. So I want to take a few moments today and next week to show you something in the text of Scripture that as I looked at it, this is what came to mind, village people. So let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 11. And this text is really about, uh, about 18, 17 or 18 verses long, but I, I won't do that to you today. I, I'll just read the first three. And so as we walk through the text, though, we may highlight and look at some stuff between today and next Sunday uh, of what's here in the text. So I'm going to read it from the message version, and here's what it says. Athaliah was the mother of Ahaziah. When she saw that her son was dead, she took over. She began by massacring the entire royal family. But Jehoshaphat, daughter of King Joram, and the sister of Ahaziah, took Ahaziah's son Joash and kidnapped him from among the king's sons, slated for slaughter. She hid him and his nurse in a private room away from Athaliah. He didn't get killed. He was there with her hidden away for six years in the temple of God. Athaliah, oblivious to his existence, ruled the country. Again, I want to talk to you from this thought, village people. So, stick a pin there, and I want you to think about this. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, says that the word of the Lord came to me, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This text this Jeremiah text right here is really special to me because this was the text that the Lord called me to preach on. I had had some prophetic words spoken over my life about preaching. And preaching and pastoring is definitely God's plan for my life. All right, Pastor, we can see that. No, I say that in contrast to my plan. My plan was to be a singer. 
God's plan was for me to do this. Okay? And so when I started getting these dreams and visions, particularly these dreams about preaching, I was like, okay, Lord, it, this could be something I ate. So I need some confirmation. And I was still young, and um, I think I started preaching at about 21. And um, the Lord said, read Jeremiah 1. At that time, although I had been raised in the church, I wasn't very versed in memorization of the Bible. Okay, I knew what was in there. I knew it when I heard it, but I couldn't just tell you, oh, Jeremiah 1, this is what that meant. Or this is what this, this reads. I, I didn't know. And so I heard him say to me, Jeremiah 1, in my spirit, I go over to Jeremiah 1. It is this text. This text says to me that before my mama and daddy ever met, God and me, God and I, had a relationship. What? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Because the text says that before he formed me in my mama's womb, he knew me. The, that word knew is like Adam knew Eve. In other words, we have been intimate. That there is a connection that God has or had, listen, with the thought of Tim before Tim was. When I was a part of his thinking process, he said, I have placed in you a reason for being. See, here's the thing that we miss. You don't become and then embrace the reason for becoming. Did y'all get it? You're not, you're not born, and then once you get old, older, you start saying, I got to figure out why I'm here. You came with one. You came with papers. You came with a purpose. You came with a stamp on your soul that God says, here is why I have you here. See, your mom and daddy said you were an accident, but God says, no, you were on purpose. Yeah, but I can't stand my daddy. Hey, that's between you, God, and your daddy. But God said, I put you here. Listen, see, this is stuff that we, don't, that we don't get. The text of Scripture says we have to honor our mother and father. It don't necessarily say I got to like them. Y'all listen, look, look at y'all. Y'all be like, wait a minute, Pastor. Yeah, because you get killed for not honoring. That's what, so your days will be longer. And see, we, as, as kids, we want to like our parents. God said, I didn't tell you to like them because they're going to do some stuff, tell you some stuff that you don't like. And so I'm not saving your life for you to like them, but I will kill you if you dishonor them. God. Because God is a God of function. God is not social. He's functional. And he says, I put people in your life to function at a level, listen, that protects what I put in you before you were ever born or thought of. So you'll tell me my daddy wasn't no good. But what you didn't know is that your daddy was in the streets fighting for you 
when people were talking about your mama because you were in your mama's stomach and your daddy was out in the street being low down and no good. But when somebody said something about your mama and about you, he started fighting. You didn't know that's why your daddy went to jail? <laughs> you didn't know? Because God says, I got to put some people in your life that's going to help you preserve. So then there is this, what, what, what I like to call this destiny ecosystem. Destiny ecosystem. That God put destiny inside of me. Then he put me inside of my, my daddy. Seed. Then he said, I want to put you inside of your mother womb. But I'm going to put your parents in a community. And so there is this ecosystem that happens as it relates to Tim. He put me inside of my daddy. Then he put me inside of my mama. Then he put my, my parents in a community. That community had Oak Grove Free Will Baptist Church. And so then in that community, based on where I stayed, there was a school not too far from me called Shepherd Middle School. Well, actually, we started at R.N. Harris. R.N. Harris Elementary School, I went one year in kindergarten. My teacher, I don't even know if this was legal. It might be legal. I don't know. I don't even know how this happened because this is nowhere near my district. But what happened was the family that my sister was best friends with, the uh, best friend's oldest sister was a uh, school teacher, kindergarten teacher. They were in our church, Miss Anna Sanders. She said to my mama, let Tim come to school with me. At that time, she didn't have kids. Let Tim come to school with me. I will pick him up every day. So I started nursery school at Oak Grove Free Will Baptist Nursery. I went to kindergarten with my teacher who picked me up every day and said, I want him with me. So I'll come pick him up every day. Now, so I stayed after school every day in kindergarten because the lady who drove me to school was a teacher. So from there, one year, I went to R.N. Harris. R.N. Harris, my first grade teacher, was Miss Bass. I'll never forget her. Miss Bass, beautiful, nice, just joyful lady, white lady, who would come and nibble my ear every day. She would come and nibble my earlobes because she just thought I had fat earlobes, and she would just come and mmm, 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 and just love on me. Second grade, I had Miss Battle. Third grade, I had Miss Austin. Miss Austin was the lady that introduced me to getting your knuckles cracked with a paintbrush. Surely, surely this can't be right. <laughs> Somebody come. I went there. Listen, I went from there. First, second, third grade, fourth grade, I went to Burton Elementary School. Mr. Good was the principal. I got placed into, and this was a cool school because, you know, Ernie Barnes, who does all the painting for uh, uh, Good Times, the paintings on Good Times, he's from Durham, he's from my hometown. His mama was the teacher on the fourth grade hall. She was a fourth grade teacher when I was in fourth grade. Miss Rogers, Shirlene Rogers, was my fourth grade teacher. She had these slats that came out of an old wooden folding chair, she taped them together and drew ice cream on it. Because then, if you got in trouble, you could go to the bathroom and get swats. And she would always say, touch them. And you had to act like you didn't know what she was talking about. Touch what? And she would just stand there. Every time I say touch them, I'm gonna add. Touch them, that means touch your toes. Because it got to get tight so you could feel it. 
so funny because we, we would go had to stand in line outside the bathroom. If she went in the boys' bathroom with a young boy, we would look through the vet to see how they would respond. <laughs> we, were stu- we were stupid, just didn't have enough sense to be scared because your turn is coming next. But we just wanted to laugh, so we look under there and see, did you see him? And then it's your turn. And Miss, Miss Rogers was the lady that drove me home one day and said, Mrs. Fryer, Tim is not applying himself. He's brilliant, but we don't know it. She said, Mrs. Fryer, I would like to suggest to you that you let Tim repeat, it was the fifth grade, repeat the fifth grade, because he is not acting like he's ready to go to middle school. So, you know, I looked at my mama like, don't even try it. My mama looked back at Ms. Rogers and said, thank you for bringing him home. We will do just that. Are you kidding me? So I repeat the fifth grade. Not because I was dumb, but I wasn't smart enough not to be dumb. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I said again. Let me see if I can. I repeated the fifth grade not because I was dumb, but but because I wasn't smart enough not to be dumb. You know what I'm saying? You hang out with people who hang out just as much as you do, but they got all A's. Because they, they want to hang out and have fun like you, but they're smart enough not to be dumb. So if I'm going to have to hang out with you, I'm going to get my work done before or stay up all night and get it done after because I'm going to have fun and be smart. I'm not dumb enough just to be fun, just to have fun. And see, that's the difference between some people. You so dumb, you think fun is all is the only thing that... Is the pastor calling people dumb? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I get to sixth grade great time. I get to seventh grade, and I'm going somewhere, so y'all stay with me. And I have this teacher named Darlene Payton, Miss Payton. Oh, Miss Payton, we love Miss Payton. She was so prissy, this thick, long, curly, gorgeous hair. I mean, she was at that time old enough to be, of course, old enough to be my mama or even grandmama. But she would walk around, and she would say, Tim Fryer, I'm not even going to call your mama and daddy. If you keep talking in my room, I'm going to call Reverend Z.D. Harris on you. First of all, how do you know what church I go to? (laughs) Well, because I was a singer early, and so I would go around with the male chorus and sing at all of these churches and these anniversaries, and I was like, y'all got to see this little boy who sings like a grown man. So it it started spreading. Well, I didn't know that she had either... I heard me sing somewhere or some of the other people heard me sing and she found out what church I went to and she realized that based on who my parents were, it wasn't just enough to get them involved, but because my family was in a community that cared, she said, not your mom and dad, I'm calling Z.D. Harris. Z.D. Harris was my pastor that you did not want him to know that you was having any drama in your life because he would somehow or another find it in his sermon. And be like, so Timmy. Yeah, Miss Miss Peyton called me from the. He would do stuff like that from the book board. Like, like God, I have to tell y'all about that. Let me tell you, it was traumatic. It's traumatic going to church when your pastor will call you out from the book board. See, y'all be talking about me. My kids be talking. About, don't be using us as your thing. I use y'all in good ways. I don't tell the people when I want to knock your head off. <laughs> See, Reverend Harris had no filter. But it was all because I was part of a community. That community 
that my mom and daddy had said, this is where we're going to be, and these will be the people that will help us raise you. So when I was born, Teresa Hodges said to my mama, Tim should be named Timothy Lamont Friar. My mom and daddy was like, that works for us. That was good. See, this is all church connections. So then I came up in a church that there was this lady named Miss Stella Williams, older lady, lived in the church, the house that the church owned, and uh, she was a phenomenal singer. And she would always, somehow or another, on a stick, catch us when we would get ready to go to the church, go, go to, uh, to the store during church. Friar, now I'm not the only kid leaving. <laughs> but it, 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 it turns into, and you know better. It's like, yeah, but don't we all? And so it, there, is a, there is a broad, y'all know better, but there is a you. Why and you? Why couldn't I be a part of the bunch? And I know you know better is what she would say. And your mom and daddy don't play this. And so regardless, everybody doing wrong, one dude gets singled out. Why? It's because of what's inside of me. And God places people in your life who will protect what's inside of you. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated not being able to sit in a group of people and just be a part of the bunch. I'm going to cut up like they cut up. Well, suppose I'm supposed to not cut up, but I need to fit in. So I'm going to cut up the way they cut up. But even when I get in trouble, I get extra two days because I know you know better. You, you in ISS. Why they ain't getting ISS? Tim Fryer, you know better, and I know you know better. I need you to go down to that ISS and think about it. I'm trying to tell y'all, my desk is dipped in bronze, <laughs> hanging on the wall. Here sat the great Tim Fryer. We have retired his desk in in-school suspension. Because I had people around me, listen, much like this text. Because in this text is some interesting stuff going on. There is this lady... Her name is Athalia, and she finds out that in a raid, her son is killed. Her son was the king. Now, you got to go back to 2 Kings and read this, start at, verse, start at chapter 8 and read up through 11. It's absolutely amazing because what has happened is there were some people starting to rule in the land by the name of Ahab and Jezebel. Y'all know Jezebel, right? Your grandmama and them are always talking about you can't come to church looking like Jezebel because you had on a red dress and some red lipsticks. You can't tell your grandmama this because you'll be disrespectful. But I'm just going to tell you, grandmama didn't know what she was talking about. What you wore had nothing to do with Jezebel. Jezebel had the spirit of manipulation. That's what that was about. So you can wear a black dress down to your knees with no makeup and jewelry. And if you're manipulating people, you are acting in the spirit of Jezebel. So God was mad at Ahab because he allowed Jezebel to manipulate how he ran the country. And God says, like, I'm tired of all of this. I'm getting ready to wipe this out. So not only does uh, uh, Ahab die, God raises up this guy named Jehu and says, I want you to kill everybody in Ahab's family. Kill everybody. Grandsons, great-grandsons, cousins, if they even clean their clothes, tailor, just kill them. 
kill them all. I'm dealing with. And he said, I want you to go and kill Jezebel. See, this is the thing that we never hear, how Jezebel died. Jezebel, as Jehu was coming to get her, she's standing up in a high window in her palace. Because after Ahab died, she started running stuff. And she says, what you want, Jehu? Jehu says, who is with me? She has two guys standing on her right and left who looks at Jehu and says, I'm with you, bro. I can't stand her. The other guy's like me. I, can't, I hate her. They grab her and they throw her out the window. And God tells Jehu that when she dies, she is going to die in such a way that you won't have to bury her. What? So I, Jehu probably just like dismissed that. When she dies, she's thrown out the window. And he says, once he gets into the palace and takes over, he tells the guys, hey, man, y'all go get her and bury her somewhere. The text says when they came back to him, they said, hey, um, only thing left of her is her skull and the palms of her hands. So what do you mean? The dogs have eaten her all the way down to the only thing that was left was her skull and the palms of her hands. And they said to him, there is nothing to bury because the word of God was, we will wipe her out to the place that nobody will ever say, here lies Jezebel. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Because when God wants to kill something in your life, he wants to kill it in a way that it can never even be remembered or much less get up again. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. So the text says that as he moves through the land doing what God wants to do, uh, Athaliah's son gets in the mix because he was one of the kings and he had hooked up with another king and they was trying to fight Jehu and Jehu had the wind of God at his back and he was killing everything. So this boy dies. When his mama finds out about it, she is mad and she says, we're killing everybody that has anything to do with Ahab's bloodline because I don't want anybody else to control things but me. So, Athaliah says, kill everybody. Jehoshabeth, listen, who was Athaliah's sister-in-law, knew what was inside of this little baby named Joash. And she said, y'all, I'm going to get Joash. And I'm going to take him and his nurse and hide him away in the house of God. So she goes to get him and takes him to a place where he is safe. Now here is what's amazing to me. What's amazing to me is that she knew what was inside of him because she understood that because of his bloodline, he was connected to power, authority, and, and uh, royalty because of his bloodline. Here's what's also amazing to me. He was a baby. He didn't know it. Let me tell you how big this is. Because what God will do, God will place people in your life who can see in you what you can't see in yourself. He'll place people in your life who knows about what's in you when you don't even know what's in you. And so now the baby is going through a process of salvation and he don't even know why. <laughs> Maybe the reason your grandmama took you to church when she did was because she knew that through the process of salvation, you will get to know destiny that's inside of you. This boy was destined to be king, and he didn't even know it. So 
as the story moves on, we find out in this text that although he, baby Joash, didn't know who he was, listen, the enemy knew. Let me say this to you. Mama, daddy, adult, the enemy has an understanding of your greatness, which is why you fight the way you fight. This is why you struggle with some of the struggles you struggle with because the devil knows how great you are. Have you ever had your child to say something to you about some of the stuff that they struggle with and you're trying to figure out where does that come from? We, we don't even struggle with that in our house. I've always spoken to you and told you who you were. I've always said that you were great. Why are you having confidence issues? Because the enemy knows that if your child ever gets a glimpse of what's really in them, they are going to be water walkers. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? And so the enemy tries to fight them at the core of what they believe about themselves. Come on. See, that's why we miss power because of the stuff that we believe about ourselves or the, the lack of knowledge about yourself. Listen, if you ever want to fight and beat the enemy, get to know you. <laughs> See, we want to know Greek and Hebrew and we want to go to school and have all these degrees and you got all this book knowledge, but you're a fool when it comes to you. You don't know you. Come on. You got to get to know you so you'll stop doing or stop putting yourself in certain situations when you know you. And you want to bind the devil. Don't bind the devil. Bind you. Lock you in a room somewhere. Put your hand over your mouth. I'm going to come against you, devil. I plead the blood of Jesus, devil, over you. You hear me? Because you got to know that when you got to know you enough that there's some stuff that you can't open the door to. Come on, y'all. Here's our challenge. Our challenge is that we want to be honest with us. We don't want to be honest. See, see, here's my thing. I've been losing some weight. Keep putting on shirts that's too big. You know, that's great. So then in my, in my head, I give myself a reprieve because you know, I've been not eating a whole lot of carbs. Well, this week, Watch this. Boy, the devil been coming after me with cards. That's what I've been telling myself is. I've been telling myself that is. The devil. Devil kind of, boy, the devil, the devil. And so every night this week, I have had cards. I've had cards this week, every night. Bruh. Like Krispy Kremes hit that coupon, said that you can get said you can get two dozen for $12. I, I say to myself, I ain't even going over there. It was Wednesday through Friday. I ain't going. It's going to be over when I go. Yeah, 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 doc. Just don't go. But I had to go when it was over, so I didn't get 12. I just got three. <laughs> but see, here's what happens. Because, <laughs> listen, Lois, <laughs> Lois. Lois said, okay, good. She ain't in here. So, Wednesday night, where? <laughs> so Wednesday night, listen. So this is my cousin. My cousin hates pumping gas, so I told her, I said, I'll pump your gas for you. So 
Wednesday night, we went up to the racetrack. And so when you went the other way, and I should have been going home, I said, man, I'm going to Krispy Kreme. <laughs> went to Krispy Kreme, ordered three donuts. This is Wednesday. Man, what y'all doing? Turning up the light? <laughs> I know the light is on me, I know. So look, all week I've been struggling. And what I know, what I know is when I cut it cold turkey, I do well. But when I dibble and dabble, I struggle. You see what I'm saying? Because for me, I'm thinking, well, just get one donut. But the sugar in my life that I should not have kicks the door of the struggle all the way in and holds the door for every, every other car for the week and say, y'all, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Because one night I told myself, I'm not even going to do this. It's probably Monday or Tuesday night. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to eat anything sweet. And so then it was late, and I said, I'm tired. I don't feel like going to get anything. But I got these thick and fluffy waffles in my freezer <laughs> with the Madagascar vanilla in them. And I knew that with some hot syrup and butter in the syrup, slice it up and dip it in there. <laughs> so listen, but listen now. What that says to me, and I'm talking to myself about this, Tim, you don't even have a standard of sweets. It ain't like you saying you're going to get Cheesecake Factory. If you're going to splurge, you're going to go all the way out. Dude, you got a waffle and just sliced it and just dipped it in some maple syrup because you don't have a standard. Why? Because sin ain't satisfied. Sin doesn't have a filter. It just wants gratification to meet the need. See, I'm talking about me because y'all told me I couldn't talk about you. It's against the law. You got to know you. <clears throat> God puts people in your life who can help you manage you. Here's the problem that we have. We start rejecting those who God puts in our lives to help manage the destiny inside of you. We get mad because people don't want to do or people don't want to uh, receive and correct. They don't want to be corrected. You know anybody that you can't never tell them nothing? Let me tell you. I used to get in trouble in school, but one thing I did was listen. I would listen now. And I want, I want somebody above me who's walked the way I walk to tell me, hey, don't do that, son, because if you do that, you're going to go, this, this is what's going to happen to you. I want that. Now, I'm a fool by myself. But I'm halfway decent with somebody who's going to speak into my life. You hear what I'm saying? And you got to have that. So here's what I found in the text. So a couple of things that I want to give you, and I'm not going to finish it today. So I want to give you three things that the text teaches us about destiny. And I'll use the word destiny and purpose kind of interchangeably because I want you to understand that there is something inside of you that came from God. And hear me, because it came from God, God is going to require it of you when you meet him on judgment day. He said, I gave some to you. Have you multiplied it? Has it grown? Not just multiplied it in your life, but have you poured it into other people so that thing that I gave you can also multiply? You hear me? That's why you can't let your kids do, your, do their own thing. Oh, Lord. Pastor, you meddling now. No, no. When I was coming up, my daddy said to me, you go into church, you don't have an option. But nowadays, we give kids all these options. Whatever you want to do. But then you mad and want me to pray for you because they cutting the food. 
Well, did you tell them that wasn't an option? Did you tell them that that's not the standards that we have in this house? Did you tell them that we got church and we going even though they got a football game? But I just want them to have fun. Fun almost killed you. That night, you and your friends was out joyriding, and your mama told you not to go, and you snuck out and went anyway. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Y'all know all those nights. Okay, just keep looking straight ahead. Like, we're not going to touch that. We're not going to touch it. So here it is. Three things that the text shows us about, about destiny. Number one, it shows us that destiny has to be protected. Listen. You need to understand that with everything that God has placed inside of you, I don't care how old you are, it has to be protected because the enemy wants to come for it. So your destiny has to be protected from the enemy. For the enemy walks around like a roaring lion trying to see who he can get. See, you got to remember this now. The enemy puts in front of you the myth that he has the power to derail you. He does not. The enemy operates as a suggester in your life. He makes suggestions. That's why James teaches us that sin comes from the seed of lust or an idea or a thought. He says, it says that, that sin is first conceived in the mind and then the action happens. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so the enemy will plant a seed in your mind to tell you, you know they treating you like this because them people have been talking about you. You have no clue. It's just the way the mind works. So she's going to kill me if she hears this tape, and I know she's going to hear this, uh, this, this, this message. I know she is. So I was talking to Minister Belinda last night, and we were sitting downtown um, uh, Decatur, and we parked in this parking lot, that had these signs up that says no parking, right? But you know, it's Saturday, there's some, some grace somewhere down there. So you know, I was trying to find the grace. So I parked on one side, and I told her to park over with me. Then she parked on the other side, right in front of the sign that said, you know, and she was like, you know, these people will come in here and put a boot on your car. So we sat, I said, listen, we'll sit right outside, right here across the street. And so we was going over notes for the day. And so she kept looking at her car. And I said, we can't even focus because you keep looking at that car. Because I don't want the people to come put a boot on my car. Obviously, she's had that experience. And it's like being rear-ended every time you get to a stop, like you look up and so obviously she's had that. So, you know, I try to be some coach. I was sensitive to that. So then she sees a light over by one of the cars. We don't know why the light was there. We don't know what it was. She was like, to go that light. So then she sees a black Jeep back into a spot, and then she sees, we look up, and this man is getting back into that Jeep with an orange bag. And she says, see, he got an orange bag. I said, listen, close these laptops. Let's go. I'm sick of this. Close up right now. I'm sick of this. We're getting ready to go. I see somebody, I know they done put a boot on my car. Oh, I said, hey, stop overthinking it. I said, you don't even have to wait till tomorrow to see if it's happening. We could just walk right over there. So stop thinking the worst. Think nothing until we get there. So we finally get over there. I turn my lights dusk. I turn my flashlight on. No boot. 
And I, I went to the, drive, the passenger side. She went on the driver's side. I said, hey, ain't no boot over here. So then I walked around the other side. She was getting in the car. And she got out the car, listen, to walk around to the passenger side <laughs> so that she could see. I said, so what, what, what? So now you don't trust me? <laughs> what are we doing here? Because the enemy plants stuff in our mind and it robs us of our peace. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and when we are robbed of peace, we start searching for artificial peace. I'm just going to let that lay there for a second. Because the enemy has planted a seed. He cannot manifest it. You manifest it. He just plants a seed. Oh, I got four minutes. I'm doing good. So listen, your, your destiny has to be protected from the enemy. Listen, it has to be protected from family. The baby that was about to be king was trying to be killed, was about to be killed by his own auntie. Because there are people in your family who don't want to see you be great. Because they feel like their time of greatness has passed. Protected from your family. Come on. You know people keep asking you, why you keep going to church? Why you tired like that? I don't even see why you give your money to that church. Why, why are you always trying to help somebody? That, those are the people you need to be telling them, you don't want me to be great. That's what you need to let me be great, leave me alone, because family will kill your destiny. People will kill your destiny. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Here's the biggest one. You will kill your destiny. I am destined to be fine and skinny. I'm destined, Ed. But Satan ain't sabotaged my greatness. I keep telling y'all, I'm going to put a spandex shirt on. They ain't even going to be in style. But I am going to wear a spandex shirt without a jacket. <laughs> because I sabotage my own greatness. Because just when I see that I'm doing well and my waist is going down and I got inches coming off, then I'll say to myself, well, you deserve a reward. Bruh. Great is your reward when you can get in a size 42 pan. Great is that reward. Don't eat a donut for a reward. That sends you backwards. Baby. Say that again. And listen, I, I found another donut, donut spot that make me not even want Krispy Kreme. So really when I buy Krispy Kreme, I'm settling for less. Boy, I'm preaching good today. Preaching real good. You know there's a better dude out there for you. You keep dating these sucker MCs. You keep dating them because they got on a nice pair of shoes and he wear good Jordans. He 45, why he still wearing Jordans? Well, I almost cussed. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know better is out there. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so you got to be protected from those things. You need to be protected. Your, your destiny has to be protected by God. It has to be protected, listen, by family. That's why, that's why grandmama always calling you, talking about, I saw you in a dream last night. What you been doing? That's why your old pastor be calling me like, hey, I'm just checking on you. You came up in my spirit. Because you got to have people in your life that will protect your vision. Listen, your destiny. Listen, situations protect your destiny. You went through some of the stuff that you went through that slowed you down because you was moving too fast. And you, uh, I just don't understand why I went through that. The Holy Ghost was like, child, I know. If you had seen what I seen, you crying now, but you sure would have been a mess if we had let you keep going. So we had to help slow your situation down because I needed to protect your destiny. That's why you were sitting in the traffic jam, because I needed to protect your destiny. That's why you got laid off, because I needed to protect your destiny. I see further than you can see. That's why stuff happens, because God uses situations to slow you down, to, to bring you to a place where you start questioning the folk around you. Uh, uh, what's the text? Oh, shoot. I can't, can't call where it is. Um, in the year that King Isaiah died, where is it? I, Isaiah, I saw the Lord, Isaiah 6. In the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he goes on to say, I saw all these cherubim and seraphim uh, talking about holy, holy, holy. And then I said, oh, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. Because here's what happens. When the presence of God comes into your life, when situations happen and God show up, it starts for you, it makes you start looking at yourself differently. I am a man of unclean lips. Then he goes on to say, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips because some situations make you check you and other situations make you check your friends. Lord, I'm cussing more because of the people I'm hanging around. Okay, get no talk right there. Lord, I'm doing more of this because of the stuff I'm watching on TV. Okay, okay, I gotta go. I'm gonna finish this point. I won't even get to the next point. I'm just gonna finish this point. Um, so God uses Joshua to save this boy's life. And so he brings us into a place of community that helps save the destiny that's inside of you. I'm going to leave this right here today and say this. Stop running away from community. I'm just sick of people. I'm just going to be by myself. Yeah, I ain't even going to church no more. No, uh uh-uh. I do well just to go to church. You ask me to be in a small group? I ain't even going to be in no small group because I don't want to deal with them people. You need to be in a small group because you need somebody to ask you the day that you're out. They need to ask you, hey, why did you miss yesterday? Because listen, let me tell you something. When we started small groups at our church, my counseling load went down. Amazing how it went down. Why? Because people started having accountability. And so then we come together once a week, and we were eating together and discussing stuff, and then somebody would say, hey, I just need prayer with so-and-so-and-so. And then the next week they were out. And then that person picked up the phone and said, hey, I missed you tonight. Where were you? And then 
the stuff that the people normally give me, they start giving one another. And they say, okay, I'm going to call you every day, and we're going to pray about this every morning for one week, and we're going to watch God move. You see what I'm saying? Because your destiny is protected in community. Y'all hear me clearly. God uses a community to protect your purpose when the devil is a lone ranger and tries to kill it. That's why he can't win, because it was one against a community. She was like, hey, my plan is to kill everybody connected. So she had her people, then they went and started killing some people, but then there was this one lady, Yoshiba, said, you're not going to get him because he is the next king. And it is my job to protect, to protect the next king. Let me tell you something. Here's why you need to be okay with people protecting your greatness, because they could be protecting the next king. Yeah, Doc. You see what I'm saying? That's why I had gone all these years without a pastor, and I knew that wasn't me. I had to have a pastor. And just as sure as I connected with Darius Daniels, he said to me, son, God ain't through with you yet. There's greatness inside of you. And I needed somebody to step into my life and say, I'm getting ready to protect you because you are the next king. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why we need community. People who are trying to protect your life and keep you, but you got an attitude showing them your tail because you don't want to hear what they got to say. They told you no on two or three things. They have sown more money into your life than you can waste, and you mad at them because they told you no? Get over yourself. You are about to listen. For those of you who are considering walking away from a community that has been blessing you, you are about to walk away and leave your purpose exposed to the enemy. And you keep talking about, I'm walking into my kingdom. I'm a king's kid. I'm great. You are about to get your greatness killed because greatness is fulfilled when it is in the context of community. You can't be great by yourself because if you're alone, who's going to know that you're great? What you going to do, call yourself great? See where that gets you. Community is always the, the thing that sanctions, lifts up, and celebrates greatness inside of somebody else. Michael Jordan couldn't be the greatest player on the earth, and yes, I said it. He couldn't be the greatest player of all time if he had never got in front of a community. If he had just played after dark in, in, in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, on a blacktop by himself, who would know he was great? See, that's why you have to be a community because greatness calls for a testimony and you can't testify of your own greatness. When you say you're great, you're arrogant. When they say you're great, you're great. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay, I gotta go. Come on, stand up, I'm fired.